Hey, it's Kaylee and Paige Chambers. And this is the Uniquely Us Moms podcast. After our co-parenting relationship being called weird, unorthodox, and straight out of a goddamn TLC show, we decided it was time to show and share our unique co-parenting life to help break the stigma of amicable, cooperative, and friendly co-parenting. Each episode, we talk about how we got here, as our relationship wasn't always this way, our experiences, tips, tricks, and resources, and we share how we continue to foster this relationship. Join us while we talk about what works for us in our blended family. Maybe you'll find something that works for you and your family. What may sound weird to you is our normal and makes us unique. Hello, everybody. Hope you're all doing well. This is Kaylee. And I thought maybe today we could talk about um, Corbin, um, the beginnings of Corbin. I I know we've kind of touched on a little bit here and there about Corbin being a preemie, Um, but I thought I could tell you a little bit of a little, little snippet of a story time. Maybe we can call this a, a part one. Um, so back in, oh gosh, 2011, 2011? No. Well, yeah, 2011. Um, November 2011, um, Brady and I had started, um, a new build of a house in uh, Plattsville. Uh, and then, what, March of 2012, we moved in. And I'm not 100% sure when it happened, but, you know, a few months in, uh, we got pregnant and found out my roundabout due date was going to be January of 2013, uh, like end of the month. My rough due date, I think was the 25th of January, 2013. Um, and my, my, my pregnancy went, I mean, what I had of a pregnancy, it went pretty good for, for its duration. Um, and, uh, around, I'm going to say October 6th, I'm probably getting dates mixed up because, uh, but I would say October 6th. Yeah, probably around there or the evening of the 5th, maybe. Um, I had noticed uh, Brady and I were in bed and watching TV and I'd, watching TV? I don't know. I woke up. I think, no. I fell asleep watching TV. I woke up and, uh, I noticed I was leaking. Now, no, I didn't pee the bed. I know. First, first reaction. Did not pee the bed. Um, but I was leaking fluid, which any pregnant woman knows that's not good to be leaking any kind of fluid when you're pregnant. So, 
we called telehealth, which here in Canada, it's a service you can call and kind of guides you as to where you should go, what you should do. You know, if you need to go to a hospital or call an ambulance or you're okay, you can go to the doctor or go to a walk-in or something like that. Um, so Brady called and I talked to a nurse and she told, I told her what was happening and she said, you need to go to the hospital. So we drove to Woodstock Hospital, which I, I, it, that hospital's terrible. That's besides the fact. So we'll go in there and I'm in a room and uh, they're doing an ultrasound to, to measure the baby, um, see kind of what the baby's measuring at, like how many weeks, um, roughly, because they're kind of going off of, you know, uh, the, the idea was that I was, I didn't know, but the idea that they thought was that I was going into labor. And so... Um, after they did all the measurements and stuff, she, uh, no, they, everybody got out of the room and then they're waiting for, um, the obstetrician to come in. And so finally he comes in with, uh, his nurses and stuff and, and, uh, um, he tells me, um, you know, um, so we looked over at the ultrasound and, and the baby is measuring, I want to say he said 23, 23 weeks and however many days, roughly. Um, and he basically told me, you know, the baby's coming, you know, I'm, I'm going into labor, um, but he had not high hopes for the survival of the baby because of how many weeks it was. Um, they, they, at back then they did not save babies under 24 weeks. Um, they only save babies 24 weeks and older. Um, and cause the, it was just the, not having the, the technology and kind of equipment for babies that are younger than that. They do take quite a lot of it's it's a pretty intense. So going on that, um, they gave me um, a a steroid shot. I don't know why I blank there. They gave me a steroid shot um, to help develop the baby's lungs, and they sent me in an ambulance to London Health Science Center. So. That was kind of interesting. First time ever being in an ambulance. Only time so far being in an ambulance. The uh, ambulance uh, paramedics, that there were two two female paramedics, really nice, really nice ladies. Um, the driver, as she was, you know, belting me into the stretcher and everything, she says, "Do you want lights and sirens?" This was just. It wasn't like it. It was an emergency, but it wasn't like, you know, a high speed thing. And I said, well, yeah, lights and sirens. Like when's, when, 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 when do I get to be in an ambulance and, you know, be conscious and, you know, 
for all intents and purposes, I'm, I'm, it wasn't, it, in, it wasn't life threatening in terms of, you know, I'm bleeding out or anything. So it was, it was, it was, it was kind of cool to be conscious and hey i'm cruising around on the 401 lights and sirens yeah this is fun this is where my head's at (laughs) um so we get to we get to that get to the hospital and they stick me in a room for a long time um brady shows up he had to drive separately my mom and dad um geez kevin was there um, Brady's brother, um, Dan and Sandy, um, Brady's parents, everyone was in the room. We had a lot of people in the room, <laughs> um, sitting, waiting, sitting, waiting. I couldn't even tell you how many hours we sat and waited in that little, little room while they, you know, they'd come in, do some tests or come in, take some blood, come in ask me some questions, come in, do an ultrasound. Like it was was back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then finally they admitted me uh, that night into antenatal, which is where they put the women uh, that need to not have babies. So the idea was that I would be in antenatal until I had Corbin. So the idea was that I would stay, (laughs) the hope was that I was going to stay there October, November, December, uh, uh, January, but stay there and and to stay pregnant, basically just sit on bed rest. The only time I was allowed to get up um, was to go to the bathroom. Um, Other than that, I had to be laying down. uh, they, after I got admitted, they gave me, um, medicine to stop my labor. They gave me stool softeners. They gave me, oh gosh, they gave me a bunch of different medications. Um, you know, they continued doing the ultrasounds and different tests and they, Doctors would come in and, and kind of give me the, um, the lowdown on what could happen. Uh, like I had one of the lead, um, NICU doctors come and visit with me to kind of explain to me the whole idea down there. And, and, uh, we got a tour of the NICU to see just in case, you know, just in case the baby came, this is, you know, where it would be and what would happen. And okay. You know, uh, that first night I was, I was okay. The second night I was getting sad and lonely, um, thinking about how I'd have to sit in there for, you know, essentially three months every night alone in the hospital, you know, spend Christmas in the hospital, 
you know, I didn't, I didn't want to do that. Um, but it, it, <laughs> it was going to be a thing. Like I, I was willing to do that to keep my baby in my belly because I didn't want him to come really. Um, so yeah, I had a bit of a cry that night and I remember calling Brady and I was very upset and, and he promised to, you know, bring some stuff from home and make it more, you know, personal in there and get some stuff to hang on the wall and my laptop and some movies and, you know, all that stuff. So. That was the plan. And then the third night, I did not feel good. I was getting really, 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 really intense cramps. Um, I mean, if I, I guess they were, it was labor, but in, in, when I was sitting there, it was like after midnight. I was in so much pain. <sighs> Excuse me. I I finally, like I was texting Brady and he said, you need to tell the nurse. So I told my nurse what I was feeling and she basically told me to call Brady and tell him to get here as soon as he could. Because I was going into labor. So, that following day that they ended up figuring out what he was measuring. And that following day, I was 24 weeks and 4 days. So, Brady came, um... My parents came, his parents came, his brother and his then-girlfriend came. Um, I can't remember if my brother was there or not. I don't remember. But, uh, it was, it was, it was crazy. I went into one room, which was kind of like a normal delivery room where a normal birth would happen. I labored in there for a while. That's where they gave me my um, epidural um, and everything. And then I ended up um, being taken to an operating room, um, likely where they would do C-sections. Um, because it was on the same, same floor, the delivery floor. And I, I gave birth naturally. Um, they immediately took the baby into another room where they resuscitated it. Um, because that was the decision that Brady and I had made it. It was, so we're going backing up the bus a little here. Um, 
they did ask us after I had gone, started going into labor, what, what our plan was. You have three options. You can either not resuscitate. So basically the baby ends up passing. Um, you can resuscitate or you can resuscitate and see how it goes. Basically we would, um, see what quality of life would be. And we had decided that we would resuscitate and we would kind of assess afterwards. Um, so anyway, so I give birth, they take the baby into another room and I'm laying on the table basically while they're doing whatever they're doing down there. And the nurse that was assigned to me that day, she goes to me, she comes to my head and she's like, you know, ask if I'm okay and if I need anything and blah, blah, blah. And then she goes, did you know what you were having? And I said, what do you mean? She's like, well, did you know if it was a boy or a girl? And I said, no, I had no idea. Like I, we never, we, our plan was to not find out until the baby was born. And I said, no, I don't know if it's a boy or a girl. And she says, I'm going to go into the other room and find out for you. And I said, okay. So she went in the other room and she came back in and she said, it's a little boy. And that was pretty exciting. Um, after that, they took me into a private room. Um, a private room. I mean, kind of off of where all the other rooms would be where the, the moms are in there with their, their newborn babies. So I, I spent a night there listening to all these moms and their crying babies all night. And I asked to be released the next day. They told me I could stay however long I wanted, but I, I really didn't like being in that part of the hospital with all these moms that had their babies beside them and, and mine was fighting for his life and then NICU. <clears throat> the next day I got to go visit him and see how tiny he was. He was born at one pound six ounces or 620 grams. He's very tiny. He was on a jet ventilator, so he was intubated. Um, the tube went through his nostril. And I could not touch him. The issue with babies that early is that their skin is still very, 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 very delicate and actually f 
touching, like physical touch is painful. So there was no, no touching, which for you moms that, you know, you got to have your baby and, you know, they put that baby on your chest and I didn't get that. And I'll never forget that. I never got any of that. It still, it still really hurts. It's still really sad to me. I spent a long time, <clears throat> I spent a long time not liking pregnant women <laughs> or women with newborn babies. I spent a long time. <laughs> Um, and yeah, so after that day, we had a meeting with one of the head neonatologists to talk about everything, Corbin. There were words they were saying that I had no idea what the heck they were talking about because there was big, big words. But, um... There's one thing that I'll never forget that Dr. Lee said, because I asked him what he thinks, you know, Corbin's outlook is like what, you know, seeing all of this stuff happening in your professional opinion, what's your opinion basically? Like what, what do you tell me? And Dr. Lee says, well, before Corbin, there was no Corbin. And now there's Corbin. Very prolific, but very to the point. Basically, before there wasn't a Corbin, and now there is. I, whatever ends up happening is just the, what's going to happen. And we just kind of have to roll with, roll with the punches. And that is what was described to me as your adventure in the neonatal neonatal intensive care unit it is a roller coaster nothing short of a roller coaster I was there every day I spent the whole day there I would get there between like eight o'clock and nine o'clock because I knew that at nine o'clock they did the doctors did rounds so I wanted to be there for rounds And, um, I would spend around that time in the morning there till, oh, I'd probably go home between five and six o'clock. So, you know, that's a long time to be sitting in a hospital, staring at a little baby in an, in an isolate. I I didn't get to hold him until until he was 42 days old. And that was a pretty cool day. When I got to hold him finally. 
I'll never forget that day. But, uh, I think I'll leave part two for next week. Thanks, guys. Now available through Amazon and Kindle is my new ebook, The Chronicles of a Stepmom. Sit down, grab a glass of wine, and take a journey with me through being a 25-year-old single independent girl to a stepmom in the flash of an eye. Read about my struggles, my wins, and my challenges with this role. You can find a link in the podcast description to get your copy today. today and kind of talk about um, one what's been going on the last week and I also wanted to talk about some things I've realized very recently that I'm really grateful for. So over the last week it has been kind of chaos around our house. (laughs) Um, I moved the horses, I was sick, um, (laughs) one thing after another so it's, it's been a little chaotic. It started with Friday I was very sick to my stomach and I was home from work and Saturday I moved the horses and had a couple near misses with that um almost getting the truck and trailer stuck and my horse almost trying to escape the trailer (laughs) um getting another trailer stuck wasn't me it was the people that were coming to pick up one of my mares and yeah so it was it was a little bit of chaos and by the time i got home i honestly grabbed a bottle of wine sat down had a glass and fell asleep for an hour and it was probably the best cat nap i've ever had but I kind of woke up and wasn't really sure where I was. So that was a little scary. But anyways, um, and with everything going on, my stress levels have been really high. So I'm not getting a lot of sleep. And if you follow the podcast, you know I'm an eight-hour sleep kind of girl. And I do not thrive on anything less. And I've been doing about like three to four hours solid. And then I'm on the couch because I can't get comfortable. And because of that, I've now hurt my back. And it's just been like one thing after another. Um What have I learned from this? I learned that when I get really stressed, apparently I turn off all my coping mechanisms. So over the last week, I got really terrible at meditating. Um, And I did find when I got back to it, it really did help. And I also noticed when I don't journal, it also is not a good thing. Because I also can't prioritize and really push forward to where I want to go. So those are all things I need to work on. And this last week has really taught me that I just need to slow everything down and despite what's going on take it as it comes and still try to focus and prioritize the things that are important because they're not going to change um so anyways fast forward sunday i decided to go and check on my horse and then we had to return the trailer and then we went to kaylee's and helped put it well he brady helped put in windows um and i visited with kaylee and then brady and i went and got some more stuff because we have actually started an indoor garden for our garden for the spring and I'm doing a bunch of flowers to do bouquets which I'm kind of excited about um so we did that and then we came home and put all that together and ran out to a friend's to help him with some things and came home and had dinner and basically crashed (laughs) um and by crashed I mean Brady fell asleep and I was still awake so fast forward it was one o'clock in the morning and I looked down at our 16-week-old puppy, Rip, and he was having a seizure. 
So I woke Brady up and kind of was freaking out a little bit. And we tried to get him up and he couldn't walk. It was like he was drunk and he just kept falling and collapsing. Um, so we chose to take him to the emergency vet at two o'clock in the morning. And it was kind of scary because he's a pretty happy-go-lucky pup and he was really not feeling good. Um, so the vets think he may have gotten into something. We're not sure what, I mean, it really could be anything, but we're not really sure exactly what it is. He's a puppy and we have, we live on a farm property. So there's lots of options for him to have gotten into. Um, so they did release him. We took him home and the instructions were to wake up every hour and make sure that he could lift his head and stuff, which honestly was a little trying. He did not want to get up and like I lift his head for him and make sure he opened his eyes because he did not want anything to do with that. Um, and it was really scary. Now, what I will say is Brady and I do really well in crisis together. Um, not going to lie. I was freaking out a little bit and Brady kept it very even and like he didn't he he kept the strong side on this on this respect um and he tried to make me laugh and tried to make it so I wasn't like super upset because I haven't been sleeping I kind of go to the next level of worrying and getting upset and because everything my emotions are really high and my stress levels are really high um so he knew that that wasn't good anyways I ended up taking yesterday off work to make sure Rip was good um and I got some sleep in, which was really nice. And then I was finally able to sleep through the night last night, which was nice. Um, because I have been. So, yeah, it's it's been a crazy, crazy week slash five-day period. And I am so over it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that is kind of what's been going on. But I will say, um, I've been thinking a lot lately of, you know, some of the things in my life. And, you know, where I am today versus where I was. 10 years ago. And, you know, I, I feel like I have a lot to be grateful for. And I feel like I look at, you know, being a part of a blended family and, you know, being a stepmom and being a second wife. And a lot of these things have negative connotations, but for me, I'm really grateful for them. Um, I'm really grateful for being a second wife or even just a wife, because the fact of the matter is like Brady's had a marriage before and it didn't work and he knew what he was looking for. And that's what worked for us. And because of that, it makes me very confident in our relationship. And we have a really good um, te like teamwork-based relationship in that it's a give and take. And sometimes somebody often takes more than they give and it reciprocates because there's different times in people's lives when you need different things. Um, but I'm really, really grateful for the strong relationship that we have um, because I don't think that we could be the people we are without and like be in a relationship if it wasn't strong. Um, we are both very strong headed personalities and it can take a lot for one of us to, I wouldn't say bow down. That's not really the words I'm looking for, but it can take a lot for one to not be driving the ship all the time. And we're really good at finding that balancing act without even talking about it, which is nice. Um, so I'm really grateful for that. I'm also really grateful for um, my unique co-parenting relationship. We, I recognize that this is not a relationship that everybody has. I look at, you know, my own parents and how they co-parented. And, you know, I really do feel that I see such a benefit for Corbin because all of us get along so well. 
And I think that it is so important. And I just, you know, it's like having a sister for all intents and purposes, because, you know, I can rely on her. She's there for me emotionally. And like, not every relationship is like that, but, um, Kaylee's kind of another part of my, my support system. And she's, she's really been there and tried to help. And as much as she's had her own stuff going on, because I guess, again, it's a give and take relationship. Um, she's also really been there for me and vice versa. I've also really been there for her at times too. So I'm very grateful for that. I'm also really grateful for the ability to have been a parent before being a parent. I know that sounds crazy, but I'm really grateful for being able to step into a parenting role before I've had my own children. Um, my own biological children, let me be clear because Corbin, I still consider my child. But I feel like it's allowed me to figure out, you know, what I'm comfortable with, what I'm not comfortable with, what my parenting style is. And it kind of sets me up for a little bit more success in the future with our own children. And with that being said, I've also had great role models in that I've had my mother-in-law and my father-in-law and I've had Brady and I've had a lot of guidance and support to figure out kind of what works for me and what I'm comfortable with. And as I mentioned before, like I didn't parent a lot in the first couple of years. Um, I do some way more now, given the fact that, you know, I'm a little bit more responsible for getting Corbin to and from school at times and um, getting him through the shower and making sure he's got lunch and stuff like that. So I'm really grateful for the ability to have that experience being a parent and, you know, all the trials and tribulations that have come with it. Um, not that I expect, you know, my next parenting outing to be perfect, but it allows me to know what I'm going to be comfortable with. And you know what? It may be totally different um, because who knows? My child may be very different from Corbin, but you know, it's, it's very helpful that way. Um, I'm also really grateful for, you know, being able to control and realizing that Things don't have to be perfect all the time. I am very much a perfectionist. I like when things are in line, that there's a plan. Um, don't get me wrong. I also really do like flying by the seat of my pants. But generally, when I'm doing that, I still have a vision of how things are going to go. And what I've learned through the process of being co-parents and even over the last seven years is it doesn't have to be perfect. Nobody on the outside is going to know what you're going for. They're not going to know if you're perfect, you're making mistakes, if something's gone wrong. The only person that's going to know is me. So realistically, I've learned to set reasonable expectations and set reasonable goals and boundaries to help me make sure that I feel like I'm still succeeding. And whether that be in parenting or in work or in home life or in our relationship, all of those pieces are not meant to be perfect because if they were, we wouldn't be human. Um, so for me, I've, I've really figured that out for myself. The other thing that I'm really grateful for over the last seven years is how much I've developed as a person. I am not the same person I was seven years ago. Um, I am a much more confident, like I was always independent, but I'm a much more confident and just sure of myself, I guess is the word. Um, I, I don't question necessarily my abilities. I just you know, like to brainstorm on different ways of getting there. So I'm, I'm definitely really grateful for how I've changed as a person and developed and all the things I've learned about myself. 
and, you know, being able to establish, you know, who I am as a person, what are my values, what are my goals and how they've changed. Because if you had asked me seven years ago, I would have told you, you know, I want the white picket fence and the big house and, you know, on a farm and I want my horses at home and I want to be a stay at home mom or this or that. And some of those things haven't changed, but, um, I also have a more reasonable expectation of what I really want and what I'm really willing to sacrifice to get it. Hey, the dogs have decided that they're again, interrupting my recording because why wouldn't they? Macy and Rip, enough. Hey. Anyways, sorry, we had to break up the fight. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of things I'm grateful for. I'm also really grateful for my support. Um, over the years, I've had a lot of friends, and I, you know, I often say there's a lot of people that walk into your life, and they walk into your life for a reason. And I've had a lot of people who have stayed as well. Um, I'm very fortunate to have the group of friends that I do. I'm very fortunate to have the family that I do. I'm very fortunate to have you know, the people that are in my corner that want to help protect me and, you know, they're pushing me on, they're pushing me to that next level. They're energetically moving me. And that's not to say there are people in my life that aren't doing that because there are just definitely some and they're in my life for other reasons. Um, but I have a lot that I've been grateful for lately. I'm also really grateful for our animals. Um, if you follow our podcast or even us in general, you know that I am a huge animal lover. Um, we have four dogs, a cat, I have three horses, and we have a gecko. And, you know, I'm just very fortunate for all of them because, you know, they all have personalities and they all have their own thing. But I just love them all because they all are so different. Um, and my life would not be the same without them. Like, truly, they would not be the same. So I'm very very fortunate and grateful for them. Um, and you know, like I'm just, I'm fortunate for the life I'm building. I'm really excited for what's to come. I'm really excited for my goals and you know, my dreams to come true because they're going to. Um, and I just wanted to reflect on that today because I think it's, you know, we're in a season in life right now that it's easy to find the negative because, you know, we're dealing with the dreary winter that doesn't seem to want to go away. And it's really hard to find motivation. And so for me, finding motivation equals figuring out what I'm grateful for. So yeah, that's, that's my little spiel about that. And I mean, like there's a whole other aspect to what I'm grateful for as a co-parent, but that's for another time. Um, because I feel like I could go on a little bit more about that, but I'm also really grateful for, you know, this platform because it has allowed both Kaylee and I to, um, express, you know, things that we've gone through and share our experiences in hopes that it helps someone else. And, you know, it, I think it also strengthened our relationship because there was times that she didn't know things that were going on for me and I didn't know things that were going on for her. And it's really allowed us to figure out what works for us and what doesn't. And, you know, to move past our history because we've, we have had, We've said it before, but it was never always easy. Um, and I mean, we we definitely challenged ourselves when she was living with us and um, trying to figure out how that worked. But honestly, like it went better than anyone could have expected. And so I'm just I'm really grateful because this has also brought us a little bit closer and 
we start to share a little bit more in depth and intimate details about our lives and what's important to us. And, you know, I think that there's a really, um, big power to showing vulnerability and the ability to show someone who you really are by dropping that waterline, so to speak, and showing your true self. And I think that Kaylee and I are kind of working towards that, um, with this platform and we're really excited about it. I know I am for sure. Um, I'm not going to speak for her because that's not very nice, but yeah, I'm just, I'm really motivated by this and seeing and getting all the feedback and things like that. So I really just, I want to thank all of you for listening and taking the time and, you know, we couldn't have done this and had the success we've had with this platform without you. So I'm also grateful for all of our followers and our listeners and, you know, the people who listen to our podcast every week without fail. And a lot of them are friends and family. And then we have some that aren't. But what I will say is I'm, I'm just, I'm so grateful. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's, that's my little spiel for the day, guys. So I hope you're having a great week. Again, I apologize for this being a late podcast episode. Um, unfortunately, with the day we had yesterday with Rip, it was just not happening. Um, priority was him and then also making sure I slept because that has not been a thing. So anyways, guys, I hope you all have a great week and we'll chat with you next week. Rebel Dog Rescue is a nonprofit rescue organization whose mission is to help save dogs that are found in abandoned, neglected, or an immediate risk of euthanization. They're based out of the Niagara region and the GTA. For those of you that follow the podcast or even on our stories on Instagram, you know that we have worked with Rebel Dog for quite some time as Brady and I rescued our healer mix, Macy, through them. Rebel is an acronym for Rescue, Educate, Believe, Empower, and Love Dogs, and it is truly at the heart of what they do. Rebel Dog focuses on being the voice for the voiceless in an ethical and powerful way. This week, we would like to feature Mercury. She is currently available for adoption through the Rescue, and if you go to their website, which is located in the description box, you can find more information on her. But a little snippet about her. Mercury is a two and a half year old terrier mixed breed um, she was adopted in Canada, and then she was actually returned to the rescue four months later due to her gardening issues when somebody entered the house. However, since being back with the rescue, she has made excellent strides to show that, you know, she doesn't need to guard. She's been shown that she's safe and she can trust people. Um, she is definitely a dog that I would check out. Uh, she's a cute little white and tan dog. Um, I personally think she's really adorable, and she reminds me a lot of Macy. Macy was very guarded at first with people but not necessarily an aggressive way she would shy away and oftentimes you do see dogs do that they do say she's a very active dog she's full of life and love and she would do best in an active home so if you feel like you could provide that for her head over to the website check her out and click adopt and fill out the information Thanks guys for tuning into today's episode. If you loved this episode, share it with a friend or post it on social media. Be sure to tag us as we would love to thank you personally. Again, we are so grateful for the support and we look forward to next week. Have a great week, guys.